1: what's up everybody happy monday welcome back to the michigan wild podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing all right, today I have for you Jared Walker. Uh, Jared is the owner of Flint Ridge Rifles here in Michigan, um, and it is as the name sounds, he builds custom rifles um, <clears throat> for for different people for different uh, purposes, I suppose. Uh, whether you, maybe just like just shooting, uh, whether you're you know a big game hunter, whether you know you take your trips out west, uh, or you know maybe you just like hunting you know here in Michigan, um, you know he can certainly put together um, a great firearm for you as well, so we get to kind of dive into that how how Jared got started um, really like where his passion kind of comes from for for shooting long range growing up in Arkansas, and you know how how hunting or, or what hunting was like for him growing up and uh where the uh, I guess the, the interest, the curiosity first kind of started for him, uh, with long range, uh, shooting, uh, coming from his grandpa. So, I mean, for those of you out there who are really into, um, firearms, um, you know, different, uh, load weights, uh, you know, all this type of stuff and, and just kind of geek out on it. Uh, Jared goes on a pretty good run there and I didn't stop him, uh, because he was saying a bunch of stuff that. <laughs> it, quite honestly like I I didn't know everything that he was saying I mean I could kind of use context enough to figure out what he was talking about but no it's I, I always really enjoy when someone kind of gets on a roll talking about stuff that that they really enjoy because you can you can just see it um, you can hear it in their voice uh, so it's always kind of cool to <clears throat> hear someone uh, speak about something or speak on something that they're passionate about so we get to talk about that. We get to talk about you know taking shots um, on animals at long range. Um, you know why there seems to be, over the past decade or so, um, more and more people becoming interested in uh, potentially having the capabilities to take these long range shots. Um, the importance of practicing said long range shots, and you know why it's something that. It's a lot like archery we talk about where, you know, if you're practicing out to 100 yards, you know, that makes that, you know, 40-yard shot or 50-yard shot potentially, um, you know, feel a lot easier uh, than if you don't really ever practice out to 50 or you only practice out to 50. Uh, so we talk about that um, and then kind of re- kind of close things up, uh, you know, just talking about our Michigan season this past year. Uh, both of us were kind of in the same boat. Uh, with, with how things really played out. Uh, so, you know, it was just, a, a really fun conversation with Jared and, um, you know, for those out there listening, if you are in the market or you've ever thought about it, uh, give Jared a call, hit him up on social media through his website, uh, any of that stuff, because the guy is a absolute wealth of knowledge and information when it comes to, to firearms and, and building a custom firearm. Uh, and it's he's just a great person to to be able to speak to, and and makes an um, absolutely incredible firearm as well. So episode sixteen, I don't know. I think I did this last week where I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, with Jared Walker, enjoy everyone. All right, I'd like to welcome into the podcast today from Flint Ridge Rifles, Jared Walker. Jared, how are you, sir? Doing good, man.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad we were able to kind of turn this thing around in in pretty short order um we've we've known each other for a few years now we first got introduced um through the average conservationist podcast we had a chance to we've caught up at a few different like bha events over the over the course last couple years did a really awesome uh cleanup at a state game area um last two summers ago i guess it was at this point um so when it came time to to start this podcast i was like it was inevitable. I was going to get you on. It was just a matter of when I was going to be able to, or when we were going to be able to make our uh, schedules and everything align and, and work out there.
0: Oh well, yeah. It's uh it's a good time too, because um, if folks want rifles for the, well, now's the time to start talking about
1: things. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was thinking was, you know what, now is probably the best time for us to talk about it because if someone wants that rifle for, you know, for next year, for that, you know, big hunt that maybe they have planned for next fall out West or something like that, like, now it's probably a good time to get in Jared's ear and, and try to get something rolling.
0: Yeah. And, um and one of the things too, is like everybody's seen it. Um, One of the biggest things that we've seen in the last couple of years and really COVID hit it like crazy, right. Where the um, increase in lead times. Um, so something that I've been looking at over the last, really the last month or so is, um, and I've tell anybody like, you know, defiance has been OEM and uh, the actions for us, right. For, right. um, on a lot of our built custom builds. Um, and now I will just tell you this right now, like the lead times, you know, for it to say Flint Ridge rifles, ascent or Ridge runner or bomber, right. Each new order I put in right now is like 15 months out. Right. Holy so God. that's what, yeah. So that's in some of them are out to 18 months. Right. So that's where, what I've been telling folks is the base of these items are, the the ruckus the anti or the anti and um the tenacity actions right so we can still build the same quality stuff right um, something else that just came out the last week or two is um, price increases so yeah um defiance defiance took probably a fifty to sixty percent price increase Phew. so it's. It, you know and that's why like if you see on the website like i don't have prices listed there and it's like call for pricing and availability because i'm going to do the best i can to try to get you the best deal but things are moving like crazy right Right. so stocks went up this last year barrels went up bottom metals anything that had component metal pieces all went up like crazy in 22 right so on sometimes like you get the normal first year increases but there were mid-year and then this now there was a pretty big step change here with you know coming into 23 with some of these um so what we're doing is is we're looking at others out there that have very good quality stuff right yeah. that we that we've built on um like there's some ter- like terminus actions there's um you know obviously we're still going to do stuff on defiance but terminus is some other good ones uh um stillers kind of where we started the whole thing Get you know, off stiller action so um and then we will still to do some of the pieces of off of, if you already have a Remington 700 and you're wanting to do a rebuild, right. Yeah. Um, a Christensen makes a good rebuild too. Um, I realize it's kind of funny to think about like taking a Christensen, but
1: <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> you
0: take, to me, I look at it like it's a $1,500 rifle, but I'm like, that's a good platform to start from because yeah. it's yeah, so funny. Bad. I'm like, what do we do is we basically just rob, you know, the, the trigger, the bottom metal and the receiver. And then we scrap a lot of times the stock in the barrel. Right. Yeah. And so that's a good platform. And somebody's like, I'm going to spend 1500 bucks, but I'm like, you're going to spend now. Actions cost six fifteen sixteen hundred 1600 bucks. So you can buy an entire rifle right now and start your rebuild and, and, and think about it that way. Yeah. But yeah, this has it's been some pretty steep increases.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm surprised to hear that. I mean, everyone, is is pretty aware of inflation and you know supply um supply chains and and things like that and just the cost of like goods has you know i mean everyone saw what you know the price of lumber did what was it was it 21 when it was just astronomical through the roof Mm -hmm. um eggs are five dollars a dozen right now yeah i mean come on (laughs) the world we live in um from a manufacturing standpoint are you seeing um like a shortage of labor or like a shortage of labor causing delays for to like to get some of these pieces and, you know, like a barrel or something like that made or, or a new stock machined or something like that.
0: Um, I will tell you this right now, like where we, you've seen where when I gravitate towards certain pieces and certain uh, manufacturers, it's because of their reliability and those lead times. Right. Okay. Um We do most of our stocks now with AG composites. They're, it's such a good stock and they're quick, they're, on average, um, you know, they're like 12 to 14 weeks on lead time on the stock. That's very good. That's a very yeah. good lead time. I mean, if you can do it, cause everything we do is made to order, right? Right. right? Cause it's custom based off what you like, right? Your colors, your spec, all those things. And then when I get that deposit, I'm immediately placing all those component orders, right? Um, AG's just solid. We haven't had any issues with them. The quality of their stocks, I put them up against any manners or anything else out there. Manners is still a good one. Um, we still use them, but you're going to be probably six to seven months on lead time of getting your stocks in um, barrels. Um, we use multitude of barrels, right? So um, we use from the, and I will tell you too, majority of the builds are. Um, I'd say we're probably doing nine, you know, eighty, ninety percent are still carbon fiber barrels, right? Because most people are w- looking for that lightweight backcountry, right, you right. know, type long, you know, rifle. Um, but we're using proof. We're using Oregon Mountain barrels, um, carbon six, um, as well. So then, when and the reason why I really like these new carbon six is because they use um, McGowan as their cores, and we've been using McGowan more on our stainless steel barrels, and have had. Really good, you know, accuracy and performance out of those barrels. So it makes me feel good to know that that you know that carbon six has got that core. But I'd put any one of them up against each other and just know
1: that you know they're all going to shoot. Yeah, six one a half dozen the other when it comes to yeah, those, it, it scissors, really gets, it gets
0: flavor. It's flavor at that point. What do you like, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and then with each flavor comes a cost, and that's sure. and that's where it's at.
1: Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, here in Michigan, the rifle is like this and I so to give people I, I'm speaking because I know that you're not originally from Michigan. Right. Um but you know you've been here long enough. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of know the lay of the land and everything like that and kind of what the the culture, the tradition is when it comes to to hunting, especially like rifle hunting during deer season. And you know, for gosh what, probably ninety five percent of hunters in Michigan, like if you had just like a two seventy, like yeah, and this is speaking, you know, north of the of the shotgun. Of line. the line, right? Yeah. Yep. That, you know, a two hundred seventy is more than you're probably ever gonna need. I mean, it's gonna get you out there a couple hundred yards. It's an accurate, reliable weapon. Do you see a lot of your custom builds coming from Michigan, or is it a lot of or maybe Michigan residents who, you know, are planning that, you know, once in a lifetime, you know, hunt or they're looking for like this, you know, generational you know, firearm that can be passed down from generation to generation, which, you know, for the most part, even, you know, not very good rifles are, are a lot of times used like that. I mean, I have two old odd 6s 30 odd 6s from one from my dad and one from my grandpa that, you know, for the most part sit in the safe, right?
0: Yeah. Um, You know, to answer your question, yeah. A good, uh, decent amount from Michigan, but I would say they're kind of all over the country, yeah. right? So um, I just think like, Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, I'm just trying to think like Arkansas. Things that are just popping off the top of my head right, right now. Right. You know what I mean? Of, of other places, uh, Washington, uh, Montana. So like, it, you know what I mean? It, it's kind of funny. It's, po- it's actually kind of all over the country. Yeah. Right. Um, and really where we're seeing some of those is where maybe the connection where you've talked about like through BHA or some of these other maybe events, things that I've done or been out you know that that i think uh two percent for conservation is great too because it's been out there folks have seen that they've called right and i think that's been part of it too um um yeah because that one the build that we did for um craig francis you know from sitka um his build because that tied in with lewipold and that whole video around that piece you know we got on the website and then some guys like hey i saw you did this thing you know and got a call right so we're building him a seven prc right so that's it's natural you know how some of those things flow yeah
1: kind of snowballs word of mouth yeah, and yeah and especially um, in in kind of the area that you operate with you know custom rifles right like that's what yeah. it's is going to be a lot of a lot of word of mouth um you know if the right person you know stumbles across you know your website or you know happens to order one of your rifles you know he tells a friend you know it, it just
0: that's it, how we get it out it's that word of mouth it's yep. great and i really appreciate it we do um To answer your 270 question, I think it's really – I think I love it because you said the 270. Um, Below the line, I'm going to be just like everybody else, okay? Um, I have – and I use a 450. Now, I have a Mossberg Patriot. Now, mine probably is not going to look like the one that when you go into Dunham's and buy just because (laughs) I I took that thing – before I put a single round down the barrel, I hand lapped that barrel just like the way a custom barrel would be, okay. right? And I polished that thing to where it was crazy smooth. Um, I put an aftermarket brake on there. Um, I took that plastic stock, right? And I bedded it just the same way I would. We would do one of our custom, you know, guns. And then because those plastic stocks tend to, um, you know, flex, Right. I took that entire barrel channel and I epoxied that entire thing and I stiffened it up.
1: Just to so keep that, it in place. Yeah.
0: Just to keep it and to make it stiff. I can sit there at 100 yards and pretty much cut bullet holes with my 450.
1: Which <laughs> right. Is, which is, I mean, yeah, I mean that's not necessarily the intended purpose, right? Like no. they're not they're not supposed to have that MOA when when no, you buy something no. off the shelf at Dunham's or, you know, wherever you're gonna get it from.
0: No, so basically what I did was I just took a factory one and I accurized it the best way I knew how, you know, stuck and I mean I'm not doing it. It's literally a leopold on top, a three to nine by fifty, very X two, simple duplex, just there's nothing fancy. It is literally a point and shoot kind of gun. You know what I mean? That's what I'm using below the line, just like everybody else. Yeah. Right. Now, talk about that above the line, that 270. Okay. So, one of what was really cool was um, it was kind of a surprise thing. I didn't know it was coming, but we came out with our 270 Walker, right? Which is the 270 Winchester, and it's improved. Okay. So, basically, you fire form 270 Winchester ammo through our chamber design right right only it blows that shoulder out and it improves it to like a modern design similar to like what you would see like a 280 actually improved
1: right okay Okay.
0: so then now i'm able to take and and what we've done is we've gone to fast twist barrels right so with those faster twists i can now shoot in my 270 all the way from 110 grain bullet shooting varmints all the way to the 170 grain bullets
1: right so that's a big gap
0: it's a big gap. So what's cool is is and that gun is sitting here in the safe and it's got a laminated stock on there. It's got black. Now, what's really cool about this one was since, you know, it was it took, it was a stock off one of the, our one of my old one of my other builds, right? It has that cool old laminated, you know, that laminated stock. It's gray. The core of that that receiver is from
1: 1967. Okay? Oh, wow. so, so you, you got original think.
0: It's that yeah, it's the original, you know, Remington receiver from 1967. That's basically has a new barrel on it, a Trigger Tech trigger, and it's been bedded into that stock, right? And so I kind of at first I kind of stuck a um, a carbon fiber stock on there, went down all this other pieces, and I'm like, you know what? The core of this thing is meant to be the tradition, right. which is the 270, right? I know that it's probably going to be heavier. I don't care. I'm not yeah, carrying it up and over mountains. Right. I'm literally going to be walking from here to my stand. Unless if I go make a loop, I might walk a couple, two or three miles in the day. Yeah. Big deal. It's going to yeah. be slung over my shoulder, but it's going to, but I've got that cool looking, just classic, you know, cartridge that if I wanted to, I could take it out West. Right.
1: Right. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Possible. A lot of guys do it every year.
0: Right. The 270 will get it done and it's going to get it done. I mean, you know, that cartridge is what? 90 years old right now or something like that
1: yeah and yeah to have that that flexibility um with you know the different size rounds you want to use from a grain standpoint um i mean that that, there's a lot to be said about that because a lot of times you know the moment you you know jump up in grains or something like that you got to redial everything in you know it's just not going to shoot the same as as what it was before so to have that that accuracy from kind of the lower limits to the high you know to the top limits of that i mean that's that takes a lot of you know guesswork or a lot of you know just preparation out of it when you do hit the field regardless of you know like you said it's varmints or you know maybe you do take that thing out west and try to put an elk down or something
0: yeah and I think that's the beauty of what we've seen over the last several years of the advancements and um you know the the long range game has caught on crazy in the last say you know 10 years right right? um but with that There's been the advancements in twist rates and bullets and all these other things that we're getting as the advantage now, right? So, and when you put that faster twist, it's like going back to this. Like if somebody's like, "Well, I want to shoot a copper," well, cool, shoot the 129 grain, you know, Barnes LRX out of your 270, and you can have one load that does everything,
1: right? But it's going to
0: stabilize it, right? So. Or you can jump up and be like, I want to shoot. And what I did this year was like, I killed a whitetail with that thing shooting 140-grain bullets, right? Okay. But I also had these, you know, 96-grain bullets, and then I have the 130s, I have 140s, I have 145s, and I have 170s. So it's kind of fun just to try a bunch of different
1: stuff. Now, from your standpoint, like you just talked about kind of like the, even like that, that short range, you know, the 130, 140, 145. Are you using those for, you know, different game or is that just kind of like a, a preference on, on what you yeah. want to use at that time?
0: I'll, I'll tell you here too. Like I look at it like i when I start stepping up, um, I look at like that, uh, the, up to that 270, like those are my deer rounds, right? right? Oh, That's yeah. the way I look at it. Like that is your antelope, your mule, your whitetail and mule deer, yeah. right? You can use it on elk. I'm not going to, right? I really, I don't even know if I'll ever kill an elk with that gun, but oh, yeah. I, it's probably, I'll probably kill a mule deer with it, you know, but, and that's just because of where I stand on kind of like how I like to approach it, you know? Yeah. I look at like that six millimeter type stuff. So like a six Creedmoor 243, great deer gun, right? You can use it all the mule deer, but excellent on the varmint side too. So somebody that's right. like a coyote hunter that loves to do that predator hunting man that's where i say like or likes to you know do the lot of shooting that 6mm is great then you jump up to your 65260 you know what i mean that's another gr- good deer round um, another one that i really like are the quarter bores the 257s right you know so you've got the 25 257 roberts 2506 the 257 weatherby we now have our wildcats two different wildcats now um, which is you know the 25 uh, the 25 walker which is the .25-06 improved and then we also have the 257 Walker mag, which is our 257 Weatherby blown out and improved.
1: So, you also yeah, we're have a 308 taking... Walker, right? Is that 300 Walker? 300 Walker. Yep. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, so what we're doing is, is we're taking a lot of those um, 20th century cartridges and applying 21st century design to them, okay. right? Because there's so many folks that have those older cartridges. And you may, and if they're reloaders, let's say like um, they have those component pieces, right? So this is simply the instance of a rebarrel in many instances, and go to that fast twist. Then you have all this brass and component pieces. You fire form, and you've just increased your horsepower exponentially. But yeah. with some of our cartridges, what we've done too is like we've, um, you know, changed our um, the design in that to where our tolerances have come down much tighter than what, uh, you would see as the original standpoints. Right. So like you, the further you go back in time, a lot of cartridges had to be made with, let's, let's just say slop or, or, you know, variants because, and that's the whole piece to inside of when you talk about a Sammy cartridge versus custom. right? Right. So you can shoot anything Sammy through our chambers and it's going to actually probably be more accurate than what you're getting from the factory just because we've, Tightened up certain tolerances that will make them inherently more accurate.
1: Yeah, and I mean, tell me if this is a good analogy or not, but it's almost like having a sport. Like if you're using, you know, let's say like a, an older barrel with some of the newer tech, uh, you know, newer technology in terms of your rounds, um, it's almost like having like a a sports car but having a shitty set of tires on it right like they're just not matched as but as opposed to you put those high performance tires on you know a sports car and you're going to get that handle that traction everything's they're almost like a pair that's meant to be together as opposed to a a pair that could be together but they just don't coincide or match up you know in all the areas that you need it to
0: perfect think about uh, we're talking about trucks earlier right my truck i got it gmc all-terrain why did they put street treads on that thing
1: yeah that's a good question you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. when i got
0: that truck and i was like and then i'm like spinning out on wet grass you know what i mean what good is that gonna do me
1: yeah and don't then i'm like i put all on terrain
0: exactly and then i put a set of bfg ko2s on there that thing will go anywhere <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i don't yeah I, I i mean it's not just gm i mean all all automotive they manufacturers all do, right? are guilty of that right like yeah You know, like my, I mean, I have a Ford and it's like the FX4. So they advertise it's kind of like a bit of their off road package. Like it's got, you know, the skid plates and shit underneath. But yeah, it's just a pair of like everyday, you know, highway tires on it, right? Like they're not, like there's times where I like I have to put my truck in like four high and I'm like, why the hell am I having to do this? Like, because I just can't get any traction with the tires that they gave me.
0: Oh, you want to know my point? Why I took that truck because the first year I had it, I went to Colorado and. I was on a hunt and I'm on this road at 11,000 feet. I go just to turn around on the road and I literally punch a hole straight through the bottom of the tire. And all I'm doing is turning around, but there was like, I don't know if it was a stob or something, you know, and it stick and it just poof. And here I am on my hunt. I have to break out everything, change a tire then go drive to the nearest Walmart super center. Cause that's the only thing I could find sure, oh that yeah. had a tire in my size. It killed an entire day of my hunt. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, this is crap. I'm not doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and then get this, the next day it snowed like a foot, foot and a half. So and then I'm like, I couldn't even get up to where I was wanting to go. And I'm hunting some of the foothills trying to hike up high. And I'm like, that point i made some major changes in my setup on i'm not gonna have my truck be a hindrance on me getting to where i want to get to yeah. as far as like into the backcountry and whatever it is
1: yeah yeah that's i gotta believe that for a lot of um you know guys who are going out west especially coming from the midwest here like i gotta believe that that's that's an issue that they run into all the time is i mean you don't think about the truck like is it gonna get me there yeah okay great check that off the off the list but it's like once you get there is it actually going to get you where you want to go and where you need to go yep
0: um i um i have a full kit like in the back of my truck i am ready to like if i think of like if crap goes south right like what the what if plan be the boy scout and be be planned, you know, be ready for anything.
1: Be prepared. So
0: right. I literally go in there like in the background. I, when I go out to Colorado, I have chains, right? Mm-hmm. So if it snows, like I can stick those chains on. I've got an ax. I have multiple ways. I've got this giant ferry tug rope. Then I've got a, a um, I've got a what do I say I have the axe. I have a jumper box, right? I have all these other recovery type things. I keep a you know, of course, I have like a sleeping thing if something goes whatever. But
1: yeah, you can't get out. The get what stranded. if
0: the what if scenarios? I carry a chainsaw, small chainsaw, um, because and you know, you think why do you need a chainsaw? Well,
1: trees down the path.
0: You never know. So like in twenty one, I'm in Montana and hunting the last day and then it starts putting you know weather comes in on us and we're having to hike off the mountain we're all fogged in we get down to the truck we start going out and at this point like at the end of our hunt so we're going to go drive back to bozeman and get in a hotel and lo and behold here's a tree across the road and yeah. we are way back in there and i've ripped that thing out and saw it up and on our way so you never know
1: yeah no absolutely yeah being being prepared. And maybe it's just because I'm paying attention to it more, but it seems like there's, um, you know, more people out there who are kind of preaching that, that mindset of preparedness, you know, regardless of the situation. And I think some of them might be for, I don't want to say over the top, but they're more for call it, I don't want to say like real world scenarios isn't probably the right way to put it. But, you know, scenarios where there, it's more, I think, kind of like self-defense type stuff, not necessarily yeah. in the backcountry, which, I mean, you can take the um, the sentiment, you know, and, and apply it to, you know, going out west, you know, hunting or something like that. But I mean, hell, there's times in Michigan here where you get into some public land, you get in, you know, three, four miles back in on a two track or something like that. And all of a sudden there's nowhere to turn around because the tree's down or something like that. And you're like, well, shit, what are we going to do here?
0: uh i've been there i did it i was up in the up bear hunting and i'm like i i thought there was a place where i could actually utilize my you know four-wheeler and on a couple you know trails and i'm going down this road and I'm, next thing you know same thing like there's a gate across a road and i'm like this was not on the map <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those gates never are.
0: <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, "What is this?" So here I am. You know what I mean? Trying to turn around, a, you know, with a trailer. I'm like, uh, "Don't do that again."
1: <laughs> so, Jared, what even got you into to building custom rifles? You know, we um, we've always been kind of obsessed on the
0: accuracy side with everything. Um, I, me, I feel like it was natural in the fact of like through generations of hunters who, you know, like I look back at my dad and I talk about my great grandpa Hickman. Um, he's the one that he lived out in Colorado for a while. And um, he used to take some, you know, they used to call them artillery type shots. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like you would just, it, it was all that holdover, right? But he used to make some pretty good long shots back in the day using like a 270 or 300, you know, something like that on on mule deer. The so mule deer was kind of his game, right? Uh he took a lot of good mule deer on some pretty good shots. Well, that kinda like came down to my dad, you know what I mean? And so we we shot 308s forever. Okay. okay? Um and dad shot a Winchester model one hundred, which was auto loading, you know, uh, semi auto 308 and i shot a model 88 lever action which came from my grandpa hickman right so back then um we were still so we're you know originally from from arkansas we could run dogs back then deer right right so i've killed no telling how many deer running and i'm pretty good at shooting at running game right (laughs) um i can i can sling a bolt action surprisingly well you know what i mean so deer drives are kind of right up my alley it doesn't bother me one bit you know what i mean seeing something come through like but i'm just trained on that we also we coyote hunt during the winter back there with dogs shooting running game right so it's kind of like i you know it's it's if you're trained at it sling it you know what i mean but oh, those yeah. but over the years that 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 piece phased out on that dog hunting you know it became to where you couldn't you could no longer do it It became illegal right so that transition we were then setting up on spots where it's like you're taking longer shots right and you're out there and you want and that was kind of like that transition to using more bolt action you know the remington 700s and what have you and we've always been obsessed with like can you hit that? Can you shoot that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I do it all the time, right? You know what I mean? I'm out there. I'm like, I see a rock someplace. I'm like, I wonder how far that is. And I just range it and I'll bust rocks. Like I shoot rocks when I'm out west. And if there's nothing happening or I'm in an area that's blown up, I don't care, man. I'm taking, I'm taking, I practice. I always use the as a scenario of like, this is a good opportunity to practice in a field situation, right? right?
1: Getting set so, up, yeah.
0: Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you're sitting up there deer hunting. There's nothing going on. And there's a crow sitting out there at 500 yards. And you're like, what if I can hit that crow? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or there's a coyote that pops out that runs out. Right. You know what I mean? At three or 400 yards. So, and then we got to where we were trying to really like 500 yards was our mark. Right. You know what I mean, it was kind of like, can we do something at 500 yards? Um, we did not have, and it was all holdover. Right. At the time. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it was probably somewhere around, oh, 2008 or somewhere around there was the first time I'd made, I, I knew how much my, you know, like I kind of knew my velocity. I knew kind of my drop and I had these deer feet out at five, a little over 500 yards and I did the drop and it was like one of those, take the shot and kill something at 500 yards. And I was like, holy smokes. Right. Yeah. And then over the next couple of years, we got into like, I really learned um, MOA, minutes of angle, right? Um, At the time, there weren't all all, as many calculators in there, but I figured out what the formulas were and I built Excel spreadsheets. I dropped stuff in there, you know what I mean? So I, and then I was using whatever ballistic calculators were available at the time to figure out drop charts. And we still used to count everything in clicks, right? How many clicks does it take to get to that? Um, but the problem was, was, um, your scopes, if you, you know, would dial up with your clicks, how many clicks was that? And Oh you would, yeah. You lose You tracks know what I mean. You would go right four. back mm-hmm. and then, yeah, you screw up. Right. Um, and then, whereas like now you have zero reset turrets, right? So once that's done, you just dial up, go back. Um, so, you know, to get back to answer your question, like we were always obsessed with kind of like that accuracy piece, yeah. right? Well, there's only so much you can do with factory, Right. Until mm-hmm. you want to get to that next level of accuracy. Right. Or like you, we were talking about earlier, I want to shoot that next heavier class of bullet. Right. Right. So let's look at, um, my, I, when I really get it, so my 21st birthday, I got a seven, seven millimeter Remington UltraMac, Right. So big boomer. I was kind of like, uh, it was, is a rocket. Right. So that thing, but at the time, Remington was pumping out 140 grain and 150 grain bullets for it. And I think they might have done 175 grain flat, you know what I mean, just like a deep kind of pit. but it was nothing in the high BC whatever, right? It was all on the principle at the time pre like you know like laser range finding. Everything yeah. was about how fast and how flat can you make that bullet travel, right? Cause it was like, what's your whole, what's your basically, basically your maximum point blank distance. Right? right. Well on something like that, you said at three inches high at a hundred, dude, you got a 400 yard gun. Oh, you want to I mean? Yeah. With, without having to make any adjustments on deer size gain. Right. So that's kind of what, you know, and then when, um, I think it was, oh, we're coming up on it. So 10 years ago, I started elk hunting out in Colorado. um, And I, and I would go to Colorado prior to that, just like hiking, backpacking, doing all the other stuff. So, and I've always been into hiking, backpacking and, and, and hunting in that type of terrain, like even where I'm from in the Ozarks, right? Like I hunt like hills and up and down, all that kind of stuff, but I wanted to be able to shoot Ridge to Ridge.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um, and even if you think about like one of our models, right. The Ridge runner, it's how I hunt. Okay. I run ridges. You know what I mean? If you look at, like, what I do is I get up to the top and I just – I literally run ridges out west.
1: And you know what I mean? glass and move, glass and move.
0: Yep. And I will run ridges until I get on the game, right? And that's typically how I hunt. I start high and then I work my way down, right? But I'll run the ridges. Um, And I wanted to be able to shoot, you know, longer. We all want to do. And then that allowed us to kind of get into the game to where then – Instead of that one inch, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Accuracy that everybody says, which I'm going to tell you right now, not all guns shoot. And if they're older guns, two inches, three inches. Let's take, let's go, let's even think about this. Pie plate accuracy. Right. Remington Model 7400 and a 30-06 or a 308. You're going to be happy if you put three shots in that pie plate, and if you can see a, a three or four inch group, sometimes at 100 yards. That would still kill a deer, it's still going to work right now, and it's going to put meat in the freezer from now until, you know, whenever. Right, oh yeah. But that's not going to work at three, four, five hundred yards. Oh right? yeah, yeah, so, those
1: those errors are just going to be exacerbated, Oh, you mm-hmm. know, the further you get away.
0: Right, so the, really, and that's where this whole drive that's gone on to in the industry, because we're taking that variation down, right, and that's why those costs things cost more. Is because like to go from one inch to a half inch group, it takes a lot. Now to go from a half to point threes and point twos, that's why some of these things cost so much more. Takes even
1: more. Yeah,
0: it does. It's kind of like backcountry gear, right? Oh, yeah. It's like when you start. And... And mo- yeah, it's like that move. Like somebody's like, "Well, this pack just works just fine." Right. And somebody else says, well, I have this stone glacier, you know what I mean? That we'll do this. And it weighs three pounds less. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And that's what they get into.
1: <laughs> now, with, if, I don't want to call it like a, like a craze or an infatuation, but with more and more guys, you know, wanting to to be able to, to make those long range shots. Yeah. Do you think that that comes from? just wanting to be able to do it or do you think that's because they're maybe not wanting to you know hike that extra 200 miles or try to close that distance or you know do you think or do you just think it's because they want to be able to do it
0: i think it's both yeah but i'll say it a couple ways um i think people want to be able to go out and punch steel and have fun
1: yeah. right oh, yeah
0: um and they want to be able to do that at distance that's only going to make them better when they go out um where i don't think it's necessarily a lazy thing sometimes some people it may be yeah i look at it as there are a lot of shot opportunities out west where they may only present themselves in that four to six hundred yard range yeah you can't and i'm not saying like you could try to close the distance, but that animal may not be there when you try to close it.
1: Yeah. Right. And what's 50 yards at that point?
0: Yeah. yeah, Because like you may be on a, on a, on a glassing knob, uh, you know, and you're looking here and this is, this one point is 150. This is, th- you know, and that's what you're doing. You get up there and you take your rangefinder and you start hitting all the openings. Yeah. You finding right?
1: landmarks. Yeah.
0: And you're looking at it and you're like, okay, well maybe something comes out there. And then you have that one that's way out there. You're like. Okay, that's way the heck out there. I'm not going to shoot. I'm not even going to attempt to shoot at that because that thing's like 1,200 yards. I'm not even going to do it. But it's a cool opening to look into. Yeah. But from that open, you realize like, well, maybe I could get to here, and that cuts it down to yeah. You know, so yeah,
1: 1,200 uh, becomes 600 now.
0: That's right. You know, yeah. or 400 or 300. Right. So I think you should always try to cut your distance the best you can, right? Because it just minimizes any issues that could happen. Um, but I, I look at it where if you can get to where like we just extended our range, which I haven't even had a chance to shoot on it yet down in Arkansas, all the way out to like 1,325 yards. Right. So, um, I want to get to where like, I can wear that steel out at that distance. I'm not going to shoot game at that distance. Right. But But it it makes that 600 yard shot feel like a chip shot. Exactly. Yeah. To where
1: it's it's the same approach for archery, right? Like that's why guys practice out to a hundred, 120 yards because You know, even when a deer standing at 50, which is, you know, for me, I mean, that's even further than I would want to shoot at a, especially a whitetail at 50 Mm -hmm. yards, but you have that confidence that, Hey, if all the conditions are right, you know, there's no wind, you know, the deer's calm, you know, all those things that you're kind of looking at when you go into a shot, it's like, well, I I feel confident that, you know, I can put it, I can put it in the right spot at 50 yards because you know what, you know, maybe at a hundred yards or 120 yards, like, yeah, maybe you're grouping is is a paper plate. But yeah. it's 120 yards. I mean that's it's hard like try looking through your sight on a bow or your peep on a bow at 120 yards. I mean you can damn near hardly even see anything, right? Like you're you're kind of almost guessing to a degree.
0: 100 yards, I have to use my bubble level. That's my 100 yard. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz that's I've done it. <laughs> that's I literally I I mean my I've got pins. I've got seven pins in my, you know, sight. So I've got 20 through 80 in my, in mine, you know, yeah. that I'm dialed at, but that diff, but whenever that difference from the bottom pin to, to the my bubble. bubble, my bubble levels a hundred yards. So like beyond that, I'm, I'm straight guessing. Yeah. But the only reason why is because like, you know, I've shot it there just to know, but that's what I have to do.
1: But that's a good that's a good indicator though, because if you got everything all in one there, you got your level and you've got your your pin <laughs> right there all in one.
0: I'm not, I'm not making this. That's that's a fun one to play it on a target. There ain't no way in heck I'd ever do that on you know, the field, but whatever.
1: Yeah, but like you said, it's it's the practicing and to go back to your answer there on you know why maybe more and more people are are looking um to have the ability to make those long range shots. I I tended to think the same way you did that that people just wanted to uh, potentially increase their odds their op- or their opportunities at at game because, yeah, I mean, especially you get into some areas out west, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's just the shot that presents itself, you know, based on terrain, based on, you know, what's on what's on the landscape. I mean, it's just you're not going to be able to get any closer. And, you know, if you can make that shot at, you know, five 600 yards and feel confident with it, by all means, take it. I, I, I hear a lot of people who will kind of gripe about, you know, sometimes people making long-range shots, and it's like, Oh, it's not ethical and this and that. It's like, if I'm practicing at, you know, eight, 900, a thousand yards, you know, consistently and feel confident that 600, I've got no problem with someone taking that shot. Now, if it's someone like me who, you know, doesn't practice at, at ranges like that and I go out West and I'm like, well, I know the gun's capable of making the shot. I've not made it before, but hell, we're going to send one downrange anyway. Well, that's, that's irresponsible of me to do that, you know, to, 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 you know, guess on, on trying to take an animal's life. But if you're confident, by all means, let it fly.
0: So I'll I'll tell a story of myself and I'll probably get hate for it, you know, for the distance this year, but whatever. Um, I put an extreme amount of time into dialing everything that I do.
1: Right. I can attest Um, to that.
0: And I've got my load. I've got my velocities. I shoot drops starting at 300 all the way to a thousand yards, right? Many times I have to build myself a custom profile because of what that is doing. I then have on me a rangefinder that will range out to three thousand yards. Okay, not everybody has that, right? But I can hit an elk or deer, bing and ping right off that animal instantaneously. Okay, I'm also holding a kestrel weather meter that is pulling in at that time with my ballistic profile, put in there, my elevation, the atmospheric conditions, the humidity, everything. Okay. And it's reading that back. So then I'm looking at that thing and I'm double checking that when I dial, it's telling me exactly what I need to dial in that moment for that angle for
1: everything. Right. You have all the information at your fingertips that you could possibly need.
0: So when I, so when it popped out this year, And we've got three of us all set up, right? And we've got somebody that's trying to get on a cow here. Somebody's trying to get on a cow there. And I'm about to make my shot, right? I'm literally anchored in. Everything's solid. I've checked the bubble level on my scope. Everything's level. It is dead set. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay. And when it's like, are you the other person? Are you on? No, I'm off. Okay. Are you on? I'm like, I'm on. And they're like, okay, go. And I pull the trigger and it just goes, boom. One shot and it just folds at 722 yards. Okay. But I am pretty confident that I could sit there again and make that shot over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. At at that distance, just because, like, I am really confident in my skills out to 800 yards. That's just me personally. Right. And that's kind of like my own personal, like, little limit that, you know what I mean? Right. For me to take something past that, which I'm, completely capable of doing after a thousand yards it gets that much harder from 800 to a thousand and this is why i tell, tell everybody just go out there just because your gun's capable don't go do it right right put the time the effort the practice into doing it to know that it's going to do exactly what you think it's going to do at the moment if there's doubt you know what i mean if i miss i get i'm like what happened yeah i'm like what happened
1: Right. Where if I were to miss at that range, I'd be like, eh, that, that doesn't surprise me.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and I have made misses. Yeah. Just so you like, I've made misses at distance where I'm like, I should have used, I should have practiced what I preach, you know, what I preach to others. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had an angle. And what I did was, is like, I want to take a high shoulder shot to where if I miss, I'm going to miss over the back of this animal, right? right? Knowing that what i should probably be doing is aiming low because i've got an angle <laughs> you yeah, know what i mean right because but it was like just the difference of like that and you know i send it over the back and i'm like oh man i shot over the back you know what i mean and and then i'm like oh, and i make it uh, make a click and i'm like yeah I shot right over and then i did it again and i'm like you know what i just literally put the gun i'm like i'm not i'm not even done yeah, i'm like we'll i'm not doing more. it i'm not you know what it, i i did not execute my part I should have hit that one spot. I'm not even going to make the shot. And I watched the animal just go walk over the hill.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and when you were kind of talking about your setup there on on the, the shot that you made this past season, I mean, that having, you know, all of those tools at your disposal and having all of those to help give you the right information to make that shot and to put you in the absolute best position to make, you know, to execute it. I mean, maybe I'm just... You know, not in the know, but I got to imagine that people who who go into the field with those tools are few and far between. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless they know that they're, you know, potentially looking to make a shot, you know, at that distance, then, you know, hopefully they've they've prepared and they've brought the necessary tools like like you mentioned. But, yeah, most guys aren't bringing all of those things and don't have, you know, no. charts and graphs and everything set up to say, okay, he's at, you know, 720 yards. Okay. Like you can, I mean, you can dial it in to the yardage with all the, the, the pertinent and necessary information to make sure that the drop's going to be right. There's going to be no drift. Or if there is, you can account for it by like all those things are check, 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 yep you know, settle in and, and, and squeeze the trigger.
0: And then, like, with everybody that went, went with me this year, I built range cards for them too, right? Because okay. I built handloads or did stuff for their guns, right? So I'm like, if you're going to be with me, and then we all had, and then I made duplicate range cards. So that way everybody had a range card for everybody else.
1: Okay. Did Brian so, get one this year? Yeah.
0: Well, no, he did not get one. Oh, man. He was this close. This close. I safety off. And the bull takes a step out. I mean, we, we had some, it was pretty epic this year on the Elkhorn because where we went into, we got in two days early and we kind of camped up high and sat there. And the first night, we, so literally like where we, we, it was about two and a half, three miles to hike in. I knew that we were going to break over to this area that had a high meadow and there was going to be a kind of advantage. Mm -hmm. We literally walk into that meadow and there's a bull ripping off a bugle on that for, on the hillside
1: first. And then,
0: yeah, I, I pulled out my, um, my bugle tube. It bugled back. Another bull fires off on the hillside and we're literally sitting here. These bulls are just screaming. And all of a sudden the one gets closer. I'm like, how about we just kind of pull out of here? We kind of got high to this glassing spot that we wanted to get to. We just said, you know what? We're just gonna camp up here tonight. Yeah. And we sat up there and watched bulls all afternoon just screaming their heads off and cows come through and all this other stuff. We went to sleep that night, listen to coyotes yip over here and just bulls bugle through the night. And I'm like, you want to talk about like the perfect setting.
1: Yeah. Oh, I bet.
0: Of just sitting there going to sleep, and it's almost like you can't
1: sleep because there are so many elk bugling. Yeah, you're almost like waiting for the next one, right? Like, how long is it going to be before another one rips off here? But, I mean, that's that's the beauty of it, right? Like oh, yeah. Being... And the
0: next morning was great, too, because we wake up, and there's just elk everywhere. We look over, and it's like we're glassing. Like, there's 15 or 20 elk here. There's some elk here. There's elk, And we watched elk move through, right? I stopped counting how many bulls we saw, right? And it was just like... I mean we were at like I don't know by midday we'd probably seen 40 50 elk already right oh, wow. <laughs> And just I, and I think probably seen eight eight or nine bulls by that point midday
1: right the First day jeez, o oh, peats And we
0: haven't even this is the scouting day this is you know what I mean this is Friday right yeah. But what was really interesting is as the outfitters started bringing in the the guys on the horses it went silent. We really? did not hear another bugle from Friday at about midday to the rest of the hunt.
1: No kidding. Just they went. Just that they, added pressure?
0: They went silent. They were not coming out in the openings that they were coming out in the two previous days. They were hanging tight, coming out of the timber, barely coming into the openings. And they were at first light, last light. Mm. And they were very minimal. It's like... That tiny bit of pressure put those bulls into preserve mode and they were like, and they hold up that quick That's now. Crazy. And what was crazy is, is the last day, next to last day, I, I missed, I missed a cow yeah. and we w- were like, this is a pretty good spot. It was like, not that far from, we had actually kind of pulled our backpack camp and we came back to the base camp that we had set up now. It was straight up. It was about a 700 to 1,000 feet. You just kind of had to go straight up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're like, why would anybody want to go up that? Well, we, Brian and I did. And we hiked up there. And we're like, there's a really good spot if you can hike to the top. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And the next morning, um, the guys were sitting there watching that meadow. And there was a spike that came through. And I'm like, I'm going to go on this other side. Because I just had this feeling about this one place that we had just come from. I watched an entire herd. Feed up, out. Ah, there was probably, I think, at least four bulls in this group. And watched the entire herd. Now, what was cool was the sun, as it start. you know what I mean? That You've got the sun. You could watch these elk. As the sun line started kind of coming down, they started following it to go right back in the darkness. They came uh-huh. off. They, they fed. And then as the light started coming up, they came off the hillside to the that north facing slope and they went right back down in the dark timber and i watched them do that and i'm just like followed
1: it right right back to sleep for the day and it was the
0: epitome of everything that you would hear from a sanctuary okay ah, okay um boxed in north face to feed that's on a you know what i mean a, you know the feeds on this side that they can come back down I was like, it's the epitome. So the trails are running one way. It would take you, you would have to go up and over and hike in. And I'm like, look at that. It's not even where they were hiding from was probably only a mile, mile and a half from the
1: road. Really? Yeah. Just a very, I mean, the, the spot was just exactly what they needed.
0: Yep. And there's, but there's a river kind of running through that you would have to cross and all sorts of deadfall timber that you would have to, if you were to try to come in from the roadside, you're yeah. going to make all sorts of noise and blow them out.
1: Yeah. They're trying to know You're to coming him. well before you even see them. Yeah.
0: So it was, that was, um, it was a great hunt. Like I will definitely go back to yeah. that unit. Um, and you know, you never know. It may it go, go back there again. It may not be nothing like that, but the, the density of elk
1: were made it really, uh, you know, well worth the, the, you know, <laughs> the effort yeah so <sighs> jerry before we kind of let you get out of here because i know we're kind of midday here we both got other things we got to get get done
0: yeah
1: how did how did your season play out in michigan here we kind of we talked about about rifles and about out west but uh on the michigan wild podcast here how did things go <laughs> in michigan this season
0: <laughs> so mich i'll be very honest um i did not get a lot of michigan hunting in Same. this year um, the reason being was is just like the way schedules with work and everything else kind of played out this year was like my wife was working a trade show that she was doing like when the opener happened. So you know what I mean. Um, then like that week, like I-, I wasn't hunting, and then we left from there. When the kids got out for Thanksgiving, we went down to Arkansas. And I ended up killing my buck in Arkansas, go figure. So we come back and then we ended up doing more of like a deer drive with, you know, Brian and a group of other guys. Um, we had a great drive. It was fun. You know what I mean? Um, me and another guy tag team up on, you know, on one that came through. So that was, that was pretty fun. Um, you know, meat in the freezer, just more of a doe drive. But, yeah, you know, kind of got out a couple more times here or there, but like nothing, you know, nothing crazy I just felt like it was like like I said this year just did not line up with where we were with travel and everything else to get out and do a whole lot um and I'll be honest too like October lines up so much more like I was traveling prior to going out west yeah and then it's um then I get into the West bank. Right. And then, and then I'm right back into more. And it's like, I think the fall is such a blur. I love it, but it's like, man, so now
1: it goes goes in the snap of a finger, man.
0: Yeah. And now, and then we get into like what I really like doing too, is like, as we get past, um, the, you know, the deer season is, is I like getting out with the kids and the dog and I like just doing the squirrel hunting, the small game stuff too. And just, don't and have to more be quiet or less as
1: much. Yeah, there's yeah, and much I think easier. it's
0: more of just getting my kids out now more than it is me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I think that's what I'm trying to get more of. Um try to get the early youth season in, trying to get some of the other and trying to work more on getting my kids the deer here back home. Um yeah. you know what I mean? I think that's kind of where I'm I'm getting to.
1: Yeah, the small game is It's a great way to kind of spend some time in the winter to kind of get you through to shed season or turkey season, you know, whatever the case is. But, man, your your Michigan season sounds a lot like mine. We talked about I started a new job of of all times in like October 25th was my (laughs) first day at my new job. So I got out twice during archery season before opening weekend, which traditionally I've had I've I've had a lot of uh, good encounters that very, that opening weekend. And it was same thing. Uh, I missed opening day, October 2nd, I was in a tree stand and had like still a bachelor group of, you know, two and a half and three and a half year old bucks come out and the wind was in my face. So I don't know what exactly happened, but I, I kind of, one kind of came into my, my little window that I had and I decided he, you know, I knew there was two more deer behind him. I couldn't see. I could see one head antlers, but I never had a clear look the third one I never saw. And I was like, "Nope, I he's not what I want to take on October 2nd." So he, you know, kind of feeds and then starts working back to where he came from and I'm kind of sitting on like back off this kind of corner of a field edge. And the second one comes out and the second one I'm like, "He's bigger and now he's starting to work, you know, much closer and He got to probably 45 yards and was, you know, make, he was at the right angle. He was, he was starting to come in and just hung up and kind of looked around and like didn't like something. And then just, Mm -hmm. he he took off upwind, you know? So it's like, he didn't smell me because he ran back to where my scent was coming from unless it swirled. And, you know, I just didn't notice, but it wasn't, you know, real heavy breeze or anything. And then I got out probably mid-October, didn't hunt at all until November 12th and 13th. Yeah, that weekend before opening day, um and saw three deer all weekend. We had it was warm. So mm-hmm. it was just,
0: yeah, it got warm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it got warm. And now granted deer are still gonna do what deer are gonna do that time of year, but I just didn't have didn't have any luck. Missed the opener because it was, you know, during the weekday. And then same kind of thing. Like then you roll into Thanksgiving and we we're out of town for Thanksgiving. And I had like one last ditch effort. I was going to go out with my bow between Christmas and new year's and mm-hmm. it just, it didn't materialize. It's like, you know, things come up, family's in town or, you know, all of a sudden it's, you know, my wife's like, Oh, Hey, I've, I made plans with some girlfriends. I'm going to be out for the night or something like that. It's yep. like, well, there goes, you know, potentially another opportunity. I just kind of, I kind of packed it in, you know, right after Christmas, I was like, just wasn't meant to be this year. And unfortunately I'm going to run out of meat here, here by I, the end of spring.
0: I, I, I get it. Um, I will say, I know it's not the Michigan piece, but I had one of the cool, that Thanksgiving hunt that I got down in Arkansas. And I think I've told you before too, before I, before, um, before we moved from there, I bought my lifetime hunting license. Right. Yeah. So I hunt as, that was the only reason why I, got, I drew that elk tag in 2018 down there, you know, all that. Um, but I go back and hunt, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then we just, we finished up, we built a place down there. So we now have a place down in Arkansas oh, in the awesome. Ozarks. Um, and we've now got like Airbnb, VRBO down there um, to rent out. So, but we have land, we have a couple acres and then it's surrounded by public on three sides. Um, but then they down there too. The first two weekends are open on a lot of the WMA, the public stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That you can go into. And a lot of them are like hike in backcountry type stuff. And that's what we did was, I, we hiked in about a mile and a half in there. And I got up on top of this ridge on this flat. And I just, I was walking through and it was kind of like I just went super slow and still.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I loved it. It was about, you know, 18, 19 degrees that morning, right? Cool. Oh, it was yeah. crisp. Brisk. Yeah. And perfect, but it was still. And, and I knew it was good when. I had settled down long enough that the squirrels went back to feeding and were milling around while I was still kind of creeping through the woods. Yeah. So I I don't do hardly any tree stand hunting. I am on the ground, typically do everything off the ground, right? I like that. And that's the way I've always hunted is on the ground. I like to be face in the face, you know what I mean? That's kind of the way I like to in do the it. In
1: mix, absolutely. Yep,
0: and that's way I've always done. I've done I bet I've killed 90% of my stuff still hunting, right? And I get up on top of this ridge, and I'm like, okay. I looked at this big opening. It's white oak, red oak, tons of white oak. And there's acorns everywhere. And I'm like, man, this is this is good stuff. So I get in there. Yes, I just basically got to a tree that was wide, almost whiter than me. You know what I mean? Because then I just settled down, and I literally – I'm down there for not even 15 minutes, and I just hear, it sounds like a herd running through the woods. Okay? And I'm like <laughs> – Man, I think there's some bucks chasing or something, right? Yeah. And then I start hearing, (laughs) and I'm just like, "Holy smokes, this is happening!" You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And so I literally take my uh, neck gator and I just pull it up all the way to you know up over my nose to where only my eye is exposed. I get in a think about this position you would be in turkey hunting where you've got you know you're sitting down, you've already got your gun up, right? Yep. And I sat there just like this. I had. Eight does walk by me. How far? Okay. Like 30 yards. You know what I mean?
1: On the ground. Yeah. On the
0: ground. And they came through and they kept coming through. And then I see the buck come through behind, right? And he's wide. He's ear width. You know what I mean? But he's not real tall. And I'm yeah. like, that's a I mean I solid eight point. You know what I mean? And then he goes right behind a cedar tree and he's about 70, 75 yards out in front of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, about this time, we're back in an area with hardly any cell phone reception. I'd sent an in-reach message to my dad, okay? He's hunting further down the ridge and making kind of a loop back. And all of a sudden my in-reach goes, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I didn't have the, the thing turned off. But, and I'm at this point, I'm surrounded by deer. Yeah. So I've got deer that are behind me, beside me and in front of me. Right. And this doe starts. Oh yeah. It starts doing the whole thing, paw on the ground. And I can feel it right behind me. Right. And about this time, a second buck comes through and he's starting to, you know, come through, but he's kind of cool. He's got a tall rack you know and i was like well that's cool and it comes out and this buck he comes through and then you know how when deer think that they're hid because their head's hid yeah but his whole body was exposed.
1: all the vitals were <laughs> exposed yeah so i was like Dummy.
0: well you're the you're the guy for today so yeah so it was uh it was pretty cool what was neat too was that was the first time in the woods with our 270 walker and i took a deer that day which was awesome. really cool
1: that's awesome yeah yeah that's that's super cool to you know kind of see see the fruits of your labor come through right yeah see it, it was... do what it's supposed to do you know behave in a way it's supposed to behave and and yeah to put one down especially back home with your dad out there with you like all all these different things you know like lining up i mean yeah, you know, that's that's a super cool story man i i, I like that especially <laughs> the in the in reach going off i mean I I bet you there's more stories out there like that than the one who was just like, Oh, I was perfectly still. He came in and this and that's like, no, every, every good deer story, elk story, whatever has some type of bumble in it at some point. The
0: gig was up. It was up. (laughs) I, I, and I think that's even what I said to myself in my head is like, this is about to blow up.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad it didn't. Uh, Jared, before I let you get out of here, man, where can people find out more? I mean, Now's a great time to start looking into yeah. uh, potentially that custom rifle. So where can uh, people find out more?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at the website, you know, flintridgerifles.com. Um, same thing, Instagram, um, email, rifles at gmail or sales at um, You can text me. My number is 517-304-4793. Text me, call me, um, you know, I will, if I don't answer right, then I'll get back with you. You know, I might be on another call or what have you. Um, but I'm always happy to put together a quote and something that would work with whatever their budget is. You know what I mean? And try to make something that will, you know, build them what we call attack driving generational acquisition.
1: Yes. I love it. Jared Walker. Always good to catch up, man. I appreciate you joining me and uh, have a great rest of the day. Yeah, man. You
0: too. Thank you.